Our scripture lesson today is taken from the book of Daniel, chapter 6. Daniel, chapter 6. It pleased King Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. And this is the word of the Lord. For several decades, Dr. David Wells of Gordon-Conwell Seminary has warned the American church that we would soon be living in a post-Christian era. In his book, Against the Night, Chuck Colson shares his belief that the sun is setting on Western civilization. Ominous shadows fall across politics, family life, education, and even religion. Freedom, justice, and order are slipping away. Scandals and scams are commonplace as men and women trade character for cash and sacrifice commitment on the altar of selfishness. Divorce, drugs, and easy sex eat away at the vitals of our society. Since 1973, 55 million unborn children have been killed in death. Partial birth abortion, one of the most cruel forms of of abortion that could possibly be conceived, is now quite commonplace. The homosexual lifestyle same-sex marriage, the teaching of evolution in our schools without any opportunity to present the case for creation, no prayer or Bible reading in our schools, efforts to destroy the Defense of Marriage Act in Congress, Ten Commandments being removed from courtrooms, Navy chaplains being told that they may not pray in Jesus' name. The First Amendment turned upside down so that instead of it meaning freedom of religion, it now is interpreted to mean freedom from religion. 
science has become the new religion and has displaced religion in many places. Yes, I am afraid that we are now beginning to live in a post-Christian era. That we may be on the brink of a new dark age. Solzhenitsyn warns of the West's debilitating spiritual exhaustion. Malcolm Muggeridge wrote, Having educated himself into imbecility, Western man keeled over, a weary, battered old brontosaurus, and became extinct. And the question that I ask myself and that I ask you today is this. How does a Christian make an impact for Christ in a, in a post-Christian era? I think that Daniel is a marvelous example for us to follow. Now I realize that technically Daniel didn't live in a post-Christian era. He lived in the Old Testament. But he certainly lived in a post-true religion era with many of the factors mirroring what we are seeing today. And yet, this man, a small minority in a non-Christian society, rose to the very top in government, so much so that the king was planning to make him second in command in the nation. Well, what are the qualities in Daniel's life that allowed him to make such an impact. If we can identify them and reproduce them, I believe that we can make an impact in our day. The first quality that I see is an exceptional spirit. Verse 3 of our text. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities, or literally in the Hebrew, his exceptional spirit, that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And I believe that if Christ has really touched our lives that every one of us ought to be demonstrating an exceptional spirit before the world. Christians should never be described as cynical, negative, bitter, critical, self-pitying people. But we ought to display to the world an exceptional spirit. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving glory to God the Father. And I love Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. I used to have on my desk a little motto, and it read like this. Not somehow, but triumphantly. And I want that to be my spirit, and I want it to be your spirit. That as the world looks at us, they see something different. They see an exceptional spirit. 
The psalmist prayed in Psalm 51, verse 10, Renew in me a right spirit. And that could well be our prayer today. The second quality in Daniel's life that made him a man that could make an impact in a non-Christian society was faithfulness. Verse 4 of our text. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy. Again, the Hebrew word is really faithful. He was faithful in his work. And this is speaking of his work in the government. And we need Christians at every level of government and Christians in business who are going to be faithful and trustworthy. And what an impact this could make on our society. I remember years ago asking a man in this congregation if he would consider being an elder. And his answer was, I will certainly pray about it, but I must make sure that it's not going to keep me from fulfilling my secular responsibility as a testimony for Christ. And I thought, that's a great attitude. I'm happy to say he became an elder, but he also continued to be a leader in his own particular field. Faithfulness is so important. The third quality in Daniel's life was that they could find no basis for charges against him. The last part of verse 4 and verse 5. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. What a statement to be made about a person. They could find no error or fault in him. Now, this is not sinless perfection. But it is speaking of a solidly consistent Christian life. I've known some people like that. My pastor, under whom I grew up, was such a man. Ray Whittles, whose name must be familiar here in this congregation, was such a man. And I've known others. And they inspired my life, and they, they witnessed for Christ just by the way they lived, and how we need that today. But you know what I see in the church? I see that there are many people who are excellent in many ways, but they have one glaring defect. It may be sex, it may be anger. It may be greed, it may be jealousy, or some other sin. But the world sees it, and they use that to dismiss their credibility in life. We need to claim Romans chapter 6, verse 14. 
Sin shall not be your master. For you are not living under the law, but you are living under grace. Or 1 Corinthians 10.13 There is no temptation seized you, but that which is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not let you be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. I ask this question wherever I preach these days. Are there sins in your life that are causing the world to look at you and dismiss your Christianity? Oh, how we need to be living consistent Christian lives to the glory of God. The fourth quality in Daniel's life was obedience to God's law. Again, verse 5. We will never find any basis for charges against this man unless it has something to do with the law of God. Even his enemies recognized his obedience to God's law. But I ask myself and I ask you, do I really love the law of God? The psalmist could write, oh, how I love your law. And yet I find in my heart, and I see it in the lives of others, a rebellion against God's law. A feeling that somehow he's trying to rob us of, of a full, joyful life. And then we go on from there to rebellion. But this is designed for our good. God gave us his law so that our lives could be happy and fulfilled. I love to play tennis. One time when my son was very young, maybe four or so, I took him with me when I was playing tennis. And I kept hitting the ball into the net. And he called to me, Dad, why don't you take the net down? You'd do a lot better. <laughs> and I explained to him, the net and the lines are what make tennis fun. If you take the net down and take the lines away, it wouldn't be any fun at all. And the same thing is true in life with God's law. People are saying, take it away. We don't want to live under that. We chafe under it. And God says you lose all the fun and the joy of life if you do that. Chuck Colson, who I think is one of our leading thinkers today in the Christian church, said if five million American Christians would really live a consistent Christian life and obey God's law, we could turn the whole country around. And I believe that that is true. I said this in another church recently, and a man came up to me after the service, and he said, count me as one of those five million. And I trust that as we leave today, that we will go with a determination in our hearts. Count me as one of those. And let's go out into the world and obey God's law 
and show the wisdom in that. The fifth quality in Daniel's life was a willingness to pay a price. If you go on in chapter 6, you find that Daniel's enemies, who were now jealous of him, decided that they had a plan by which they could bring him down. And so they went to the king and they appealed to his ego. And they said, O king, we think it would be great if you would pass a law that said that anyone who prays to any other god or man except you for the next 30 days would be thrown into the lion's den. The king thought this was a marvelous idea. And so the law was passed. And it made the headlines of all the papers, and it was on every news broadcast. And Daniel heard about it. He knew what the law was. But he put his life and his job on the line. And we read in verse 10 of our text. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. And you know that he was ultimately thrown into the lion's den. He put his life and his job right on the line. And I respect today doctors and nurses who will put their job right on the line by refusing to participate in abortions. I admire teachers who say, I will teach only what is in line with the Word of God. I will not teach a curriculum that undermines God's truth. I admire business people who will not cheat or lie. I admire politicians who will risk their re-election by doing what is right. My friend, the late Dr. Bob Cook, gave me this poem, and I think it applies so well to our day. God, give us men. A time like this demands strong minds, great hearts, true faith, and ready hands. Men whom the lust of office does not kill. Men whom the spoils of office cannot buy. Men who possess opinions and a will. Men who have honor. Men who will not lie. Men who can stand before a demagogue and damn his treacherous flatteries without winking. Tall men, sun-crowned, who live above the fog in public duty and in private thinking. For while the rabble, with their thumb-worn creeds, their large professions and their little deeds, mingle in selfish strife, lo, freedom weeps, wrong rules the land, 
and waiting justice sleeps. He was willing to pay a price. And I believe that in coming days, you and I may be called upon to pay a real price for our Christian stand. A sixth quality in Daniel's life, an ability to outthink the secularists. Chapter 1, verse 17, speaking of Daniel and his three friends. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And then verse 20. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Dr. Glover was a student of the early church. And as he wrote about the victory of the early church over insurmountable odds, this is what he said. The Christian read the best books, assimilated them, and lived the freest intellectual life the world had. Jesus had set them free to be true to fact. There is no place for an ignorant Christian. From the very start, every Christian had to know and to understand, and he had to read the Gospels. He had to be able to give a reason for his faith. They read about Jesus, and they knew him, and they knew where they stood. Who did the thinking in that ancient world? Again and again, it was the Christian. He outthought the world. And yet so many Christians today just watch television and never really think, trying to develop a real Christian philosophy of life. And that's what our world desperately needs. Harry Blameyers wrote a, a marvelous book entitled The Christian Mind. And this is what he wrote. A Christian mind is a mind trained, informed, equipped to handle the data of secular controversy within a framework of reference which is constructed of Christian propositions. The Christian thinker challenges current prejudices disturbs the complacent, obstructs the busy pragmatists, questions the very foundation of all around him, and is a nuisance. The world needs Christian thinkers who can think biblically about the issues of the day. And then a seventh quality, prayer. In verse 10 we read, that when Daniel had learned the decree, he went back to his room, and with the windows open, he prayed. Prayer is the one thing that I believe can save America in this critical hour. And yet, as I travel around from church to church, 
I find that many churches don't even have a prayer meeting. And those that do, it's very poorly attended. And then we wonder why God is not shaking the world, why God is not really doing something. It's because of a lack of prayer. I have been studying prayers that brought about the Great Awakening under Jonathan Edwards and the Second Great Awakening and and how God moved in our country in times past. But it was always in response to sustained, united, extraordinary prayer. And then the final quality, faith in God. Verse 23 of our text. Daniel had been thrown in the lion's den. God protected him. And we read in verse 23, The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And here's the crux. He trusted in his God. And if you and I are going to make an impact in our non-Christian society, it's going to be because we really trust in God. And the end result of Daniel's life, living in the midst of a secular society, was this, verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Because one man was faithful to God. The message of the gospel went out to the whole world from the king. We're living in a very dangerous, critical age. I attended the inauguration of the new president of Gordon College on Friday, and I met George Gallup of Gallup Poll, a fine Christian man. And he spoke to some of us after the inauguration, and he gave us some very discouraging facts about the Christian church in America. Churches closing, churches struggling, churches uniting out of weakness. And he went on and on. And then he was asked this question, do you see any hope? Dr. Gallup said this, there are some churches across America that are thriving, that are growing, that are expanding, that are reaching out. And that's the hope of America. And I thought to myself, God 
bless Black Rock, they're one of those churches. And, and in a day when churches are closing and struggling just to exist, you talk about building a new building because you need it to reach people. And I say, God bless you. And may this be blessed of the Lord. The end result of Daniel's witness in a secular society was that the whole world heard God's message. I heard a commencement speaker at a Christian college, and this is what he said at the end of his talk. Go out into the community. Be faithful to your mate. Pay your bills. Be honest in everything you do. And pretty soon the whole community will be whispering about you and your God. You can make an impact for Christ in a post-Christian era.